Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's more money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years' experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy. He's leading economist Steve Moore with more money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Hi, folks. Steve Moore here. You're listening to More Money on WABC Talk Radio. I want to do a quick shout out, shout out to my great, great friend, John Katsimides, who allows me to do this show. I say it every week. I'll say it again. It is a privilege to be able to talk to you about the economy, a little bit about politics, about finance, uh, what is going on in Washington, which, by the way, is a disaster in every single way. Uh, by the way, before I get to the economics, I got to say, I was listening to the news broadcast. And so I looked this up on the Internet. How cool is this that tonight we will see the conjunction of Venus and Mars in the evening sky? <laughs> How cool is that? You know, I've always said Republicans are on Venus and Democrats are on Mars. So maybe we might have some meeting of the minds. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But this is really cool. This only happens uh, once in a very, very long uh, number, uh, period. So uh, watch this. I think it's supposed to be a be- beautiful sky all over the East Coast tonight. So I think you may have to get up. Uh, it, you know, you may have to either stay up or get up at uh, one or two o'clock in the morning to see this, but uh, might be a once in a lifetime opportunity. So uh, we will see the conjunction in the sky of Venus and Mars. It doesn't happen often. So that's a really, really cool thing. Okay. Now, let's get right down to it. Uh, I'm very angry about what happened this week in in Congress. Uh, They passed a $1.2 trillion spending bill on top of the $1.9 trillion spending bill that was passed back in March. This is supposed to be an infrastructure bill. Do not believe that for one minute, folks. Only about one out of every $5 in this bill has anything to do with highways and bridges and, and airports. And fixing potholes, which we're all in favor of, but this is a green energy bill. It's uh, money for Teslas. It's money for the wind and solar industry. It's money for, uh, you know, fixing the so-called electric grid system. So it's uh, it's ready for the renewable energy uh, revolution, which, uh, you know, is is speculative at best. Uh, and so um, I, don't, I don't understand the logic of it. I don't understand why at a time when we are already $30 trillion in debt, when we've already borrowed $5 trillion to deal with COVID, I think the number might be closer to $6 trillion. I mean, by the way, these are gargantuan numbers. A trillion, by the way, is one, followed by not three, not six, not nine, 12 zeros. So uh, these are spectacularly large numbers. The uh, level of fiscal incompetence of our Congress and our president is really unprecedented in American history. We have now spent more money in the last two years than we have to fight World War I, World War II, the Civil War, and the Revolutionary War adjusted for inflation. So this is uh, an incredible waste of money. And by the way, it comes 
one day after I read in my local paper, because I'm here, you're, most of you are in the New York metropolitan area, although I know people up from Maine to Georgia listen to this show, and we've got some people in California, but I live in uh, the great state of Maryland, and our state comptroller, Peter Franchot, announced that there is $2 billion, $2 billion of fraudulent unemployment insurance claims. $2 billion. That's 500,000 claims in Maryland, half a million claims that were fraudulent. These are fraudsters. These are people who are stealing from our government. And nobody does anything about it. Nobody. None of the politicians do it. In fact, instead of saying, hey, here's how we're going to save some money, we're going to go after the fraudsters. No, they just go appropriate more money. And that's going to lead to more fraud in our government. By the way, for my listeners in California, $2 billion is nothing. The amount of unemployment insurance fraud, that's people who are getting checks from the taxpayers, you and me, who don't deserve them, who are uh, basically uh, uh, scheming the system, $30 billion, $30 billion to fraudsters. So in two states, we have $32 billion. Lord knows how big the number is in New York. I don't think that New York, the Cuomo, even wants to count it. He doesn't want to know. He doesn't want to know the truth about how much people are scamming uh, our uh, federal budget. And by the way, when they scam the federal budget, they're scamming you and me. We're the ones who pay the taxes, right? We pay the taxes. The politi- We pay the politicians. They're supposed to work for us. They're supposed to make sure that our money is wisely spent. And you get this kind of thing going on with millions of people um, you getting checks that they don't deserve. It's unbelievable. These people should be put in jail. Uh, And meanwhile, we have a new $1.2 trillion spending bill that I hate to tell you, folks, that was paid, was uh, voted uh, not just by every Democrat. Your two uh, dingbat senators in New York uh, voted for this. And if you live in Connecticut, your two dingbat senators in Connecticut voted. voted for this fiscal fraud. If you live in New Jersey, of course, your two senators voted for it. If you live in Rhode Island, you two senators voted for it. Uh, If you lived in Maine, I believe both of your senators voted for it. Um, So this is is outrageous how much money we're borrowing. By the way, the debt, the debt before all of this spending uh, that Biden is doing, uh, for 2020, per family, your share of the national debt now is, I'm going to get this number right, $320,000. Your family owes a second mortgage because your share of the national debt is $320,000. But that's nothing. In the next 20 years, your kids, their share of the national debt is going to be over $600,000. That's how much they're going to owe. And by the way, they don't all, it's not, remember, it used to be said, oh, well, we owe the, the debt to ourselves. You know, one per, one American buys the debt, another American pays it, so it, all the money stays in the country. Wait a minute. Who's buying the debt now? The Saudis, the Japanese, the Chinese have trillions of dollars of our debt. So what this means is our children, you're and my children, I have four, five boys, by the way, I have uh, three uh, sons, and my wife has two sons, so we got five sons uh, in our family. They're, each one of them is going to go owe $600,000 because of the incredible waste and inefficiency and nonsense that's going on in Washington. Now, they say that this bill 
is paid for. But here's the thing. Here's the way they, quote, paid for this bill. You're not going to believe this stuff. Unemployment insurance program integrity. Wait a minute. <laughs> why, why are they waiting now to put integrity in the program? Why didn't we have integrity three or four years ago before we started spending tens of billions of dollars on this? How crazy is that? I mean, yeah, every program should have integrity to make sure people are scamming the system. Uh, redirect unused unemployment insurance funds. Well, come on, return that money to the treasury. Don't spend it. Um, then they've got unused uh, COVID funds, $80 billion. Then they've got uh, toll credits, whatever that is, $30 billion. Then they've got uh, 5G spectrum auctions, $65 billion. Why not use that money to reduce the debt rather than have more debt? And then my favorite one is uh, they've got, here it is, they have uh, what they call dynamic scoring. Now, dynamic scoring is when you cut tax rates and you get more revenue in than you'd expect because when tax rates are lower, people work more and invest more and save more. And and they start more businesses. We saw that under Trump. So you, that's not to say the tax cuts pay for themselves. It just says, you know, you get a lot more economic activity <clears throat> if you have, say, a 25% tax rate than a 50% tax rate. Because when you tax something, you get less of it, right? So now they're saying government spending has a dynamic positive effect. Wouldn't that be amazing? By the way, if that were true, you know, Russia and uh, Cuba and Venezuela and all the countries that spend and spend and spend, they would be the richest countries. But of course, it's the countries with the most lean governments that that actually allowed the private sector to do the spending have the, the best economy. So this is nonsense. They say they're going to get $58 billion positive from uh, from the effect of this uh, spending, which is, of course, nonsense. Why don't they take into account all the debt? By the way, the interest on the debt is going to be way higher than that $58 billion. And then they want to have anybody out there who owns cryptocurrencies, if you own um, Bitcoin or Frax or the five or six other major uh, Bitcoin, uh, you know, cryptocurrencies, they now want to tax on those transactions. They want to really uh, destroy the shield that you have of financial protection by owning a Bitcoin. Uh, I think that's a terrible, terrible idea. I think that uh, what makes uh, cryptocurrencies so attractive to people is that outside the realm of government. And now they want to bring it inside the realm of government. Now, where's the money going? Okay, $109 billion out of uh, $600 billion goes for roads and bridges. You've got some money for airports, $25 billion. Then they've got public transit, $50 billion. We just gave the transit agencies $50 billion three months ago. Why do we have to give them more? By the way, the ridership is down 50, 60, 70%. They should be reducing their budget and spending, not increasing it. Uh, Amtrak and, uh, Pash and freight rail, $66 billion. Uh, Broadband infrastructure, $65 billion. Folks, the private sector is going to build out the, the broadband. You've got comp companies like Verizon and others that are spending tens of billions of dollars. Uh, you know, we should keep the Internet and the broadband separate from government. So <laughs> I just can't believe how much we're spending here. And I can't believe that there are 14 Republicans who voted for this. So we're going to have a discussion with my good friend, uh, David Asman and Grover Norquist and uh, Chris Edwards. We're going to go over all of this stuff in just a 
uh, a minute or two. You're listening to the More Money Hotline. You can tell I'm angry because I just think what we're doing to our country with this debt is so outrageous. Uh, you're listening to More Money. I'm Steve Moore, and we will be right back. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. You're listening to More Money on WABC Talk Radio. Thank you for joining some of your beautiful Saturday afternoon with us. I hope you're having a great weekend. Look, I want to get right down to it. I've got three amazing guests to talk about what's going on with our economy, what is going on with the political situation in Washington. And these are some of the smartest guys you can talk to. So I'm going to... uh, uh, introduce them right now. So we've got Chris Edwards, who is the top fiscal analyst at the Cato Institute, which is a libertarian institute in Washington. He's one of the smartest guys on how you, we spend our money in Washington. And then we have um, uh, David Asman, who is a longtime friend and colleague. You all know David Asman from Fox News. He is the face of Fox News. He's on uh, constantly uh, on uh, Fox Business News. He also worked for many, many years at the Wall Street Journal, great friend. And then we have, of course, Scott Grover Norquist, who's one of the great taxpayer advocates of, of our time. Grover works for the Americans for Tax Reform. So let's get right down to it, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining this afternoon. And I want to, if you've got time to spend two or three uh, segments with you guys. Uh, David, I want to start with you. Sure. Um, I am, uh, I am on... <laughs> pretty upset about the fact that there are 16 or 17, I don't remember the exact number, Republicans who crossed oh, over and pay, yeah. and and, uh, and uh, voted for this horrific uh, infrastructure yeah. bill. What is your take on this? Well, first of all, uh, one of the, the greatest weaknesses going into the midterm election for Democrats is inflation. And right. how can how can Republicans hold Democrats accountable for inflation if they go along with some of their inflation spend policies, not to mention the tax policies, which I'm sure we can get into with Grover. But the bottom line is this is this is handing them a lifeline going into the, the midterm elections. And it's, of course, also makes it far easier for them to get these these multi multi trillion dollar uh, spending packages through reconciliation because right. if they if they get this through then the, it, it it really greases the skids to get the other spending bills through as well the American Family Act etc. So it's it's a it's an absolute gimme to the yeah. Democrats and and I mean you know beside we can talk about either the political or the economic but what worries me most is the political thing because because uh, you know the, you need to it's important for voters. To to know that who it who is responsible yeah. for the inflation that they're facing, and it's important uh, for them, yeah. particularly going into the midterm elections, and and this just makes it it muddies the waters, and it and it it doesn't have to. So it's I think it sure right, does. It's a disaster. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, and you know I think that uh, uh, some of my friends, and Mitch McConnell uh, was saying the other night on, on TV that he, it looks like he's going to support this bill in the end. Uh, and he thinks, okay, we're going to uh, Republicans will get credit for the infrastructure, but then we'll stop the other bill. But but I think it's just the opposite. I think the politics of this is that it actually gives momentum to Biden. I think he's he's dancing a little jig in the White House right now. And by the way, he's not a popular president. He's barely at fifty percent approval rating, which is horrible for first year president. So I think you're right about the politics. Now I want to talk to my friend Chris Edwards about the the numbers here. And the reality of what's going on with our so-called infrastructure. And Chris, you you run these numbers, but I just looked at them in the budget today, 
And what I found was that non-defense physical capital spending, which is infrastructure, in, in the year 2000, we spent $218 billion. In the year 2000, I think it's either 20 or 21, we spent over $400 billion. So, and by the way, that's adjusted for inflation. That's almost a doubling of infrastructure spending. Where in the world did this concept come up that we have an infrastructure crisis? We're not spending enough money. You're, you're exactly right, Steve. And the, the thing that people ought to recognize is that the vast majority of infrastructure is owned by state governments. So the entire right. interstate system, for example, is owned by the states. They've got every ability to finance their own highways by themselves. I mean, Senator Portman, the ch- a chief supporter of this act, uh, had an op-ed in the journal the other day, and he said, well, passing this infrastructure bill will be good for GDP uh, and productivity. It may or may not be. But if that was true, why aren't the states doing it themselves? I mean, if investing in Ohio highways uh, more makes economic sense, then why doesn't the Ohio legislature do it? Why does it have to be in Washington? <laughs> right. Uh, so this doesn't make any sense. The other part of this bill that I'm really worried about is the corporate welfare aspect. There's tens, perhaps hundreds of billions of dollars uh, spent subsidizing private businesses, electric grid companies, right, um, right. Uh, uh, broadband companies, electric vehicle charging stations right uh, that is very a very dangerous path for the federal government to go to go down steve you've been uh you know criticizing corporate welfare for decades i think this would be a huge expansion and very dangerous corporate welfare and as david pointed out you know republican fingerprints would be all over this uh david are you saying that we shouldn't have electric charging stations paid for by the taxpayers <laughs> so that people with teslas can't drive their cars up and right free? right yeah you know they <laughs> The, the, the Biden administration is always pointing to, uh, the, you know, the Eisenhower uh, spending on all the highways and roads and everything. Well, that didn't include gas stations, by the way. The, the gas stations were private. And, and here we're, we're, we're thinking of essentially uh, federalizing everything. I mean, eventually they're going to be using, using tax dollars to give us all cars. It's, remember the last great empire that that promised to give everybody everything they need that was the soviet union look at the soviet constitution and and it's great you get everything for everything you could possibly want from education to cars to jobs to retirement etc uh they delivered on none of that because it doesn't work yeah. To, well, to at least they're really working quickly on that. If you've been to your local Target or Walmart recently, you will have noticed that they already have put in electric vehicle charging stations. There's already around thirty thousand EV charging <laughs> exactly. stations across the country put in by the private sector. Yep. Yeah, and by the way, if we're supposed to be conserving energy, how does it conserve energy to give people free electric charging? I don't, right. I don't get that idea. Okay, um, I, I want to before I get to Grover. I want to ask you one other quick question, Chris. You know, you talked about most of the infrastructure being, uh, you know, uh, state and local, but you're talking about the government infrastructure. I mean, it seems to me the most important infrastructure in this country is private sector infrastructure. For example, you know, there's, let me get this number, there's uh, $65 billion in this bill for broadband infrastructure. Chris, why can't the private sector do that? 
Of course, it should. About two-thirds of all infrastructure in America is owned by the private sector. Uh, you right. know, most of the in- Internet infrastructure, pipelines, freight rail, yep. uh, a vast amount, you know, tens of trillions of dollars of stuff. And as you always point out, uh, Steve, you know, raising the corporate tax, which is what the Biden administration wants to do, would damage that private sector infrastructure. So like with broadband, we'd be hiking corporate taxes on companies like AT&T and Comcast they're investing in broadband, but at the same time, we'd be turning around and subsidizing those same companies. It makes absolutely no sense. So, Grover, uh, that gets to your issue of expertise, obviously, which is this grotesque anti-America tax increase that uh, Biden is proposing. And by the way, a lot of this eventually will be paid for by the uh, by the taxpayer one way or the other. As Milton Friedman used to say, spending is taxation. Uh, we have a new study at the Committee on Unleashed Prosperity that just came out that sh- that indicates that there would be about a million jobs lost from this uh, capital gains tax increase and the capital gains tax increase on death. And I know you've been fighting that fight. Rover, can you explain that one to people? Because I think people get a little bit confused about how that would work. Uh, certainly. Uh, right now, if your parents ran a farm or a small business uh, and they took it from being worth zero to a million dollars. When they die, uh, right now that passes on to you and your siblings, and you inherit it at a million dollar value. So if you add to the value of that farm or small business and sell it, you pay capital gains taxes on the difference between the one million you inherited on and what you created. They do not tear apart the value of what your parents created when they handed it to you. And they Mm -hmm. only charge you capital gains when you sell it. And it's called capital gains income tax. It's a tax on income. It's not a tax on the value of your property. So uh, the reason why it's called a step-up in basis, it was enacted about 100 years ago because without it, it was tearing family farms apart at generations. And to save family farms, which was today's version, that version of what we now think of as small businesses, Small farmers are small businesses, but at the time, most small self-employed people were farmers. Now, there are many kinds of self-employed people, independent contractor. Farmers are one of them, but farmers, of course, have a lot of value in their land, uh, as so do small businessmen, maybe in a city. Uh, This would do go back to doing the farmers and small businessmen what the original income tax, capital gains tax did, and everyone was horrified and stopped it by putting in the step up in basis. The uh, African-American Democrat chairman of the Agricultural Committee wrote a very insulting letter to uh, Biden saying that what you're doing will destroy African-American farmers. Uh, wow. Put, put, wait, 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 Grover. Yeah. Grover, I thought, that, I thought Biden was going to help the African-American farmers. He'll give them a subsidy and he'll break their farm in half every generation. <laughs> right. Uh, so, right. So that if hopefully they'll only remember part of that and still vote for him. Uh, so, This is something that is very important to small business creation, capital creation, not for IBM, but for uh, family businesses. And it was actually taken away by the Democrats in 1976 for all the same reasons Biden wants to get rid of it now. It was such a bad idea. It was never implemented under Democratic control, under Carter. And they repealed the pulling away. So they put it back in just before Reagan took office. So this is not only a dumb idea. It not only damages people in a way that 100 years ago we were smart enough to stop doing it, but the Democrats from 76 uh, to 80 tried this experiment 
The New York Times was horrified by it and said it was time to get rid of it. And they, wow. This That's is, pretty bad. <laughs> this is Biden, this is it. And Biden is not the third term of Obama. He is the first term of Jimmy Carter replayed without right. any wow. learning going on. So, so Grover, um, the, the, the bottom line here, I think, is that, you know, if you look at family-owned businesses, and we have millions, probably 20 million family-owned businesses in this country, they are the spinal cord of our economy. And basically, as I look at it, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, now instead of that, that family business or farm or ranch being turned over to the next generation, now it goes over to the government. A good chunk of it goes to the government, and it'll be sold off by whoever has it in order to pay those taxes. And maybe it'll be gobbled up by existing companies that, that have more capital to begin with. God. Uh, look, it, it is not by accident, comrade. The Democrats understand that these self-employed small businessmen and women are Republicans wow. who need nothing yep. and ask nothing from the government. And as far as the Democrats are concerned, alone. they're annoying and they don't mind right. if they disappear. All right. We got a break. Uh, we'll be right back with uh, Grover Norquist and Chris Edwards and David Aspen. You're listening to More Money. And uh, stay with us. We'll be back in one minute. It's More Money with leading economist Steve Moore. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is Steve Moore. You're listening to More Money on WABC Talk Radio. Uh, one of our listeners just texted me, gentlemen, and I think you'll be interested. He noted that uh, the the idea of high estate and inheritance taxes originally came from the Communist Manifesto under Karl <laughs> Marx, and I guess we're implementing that here. And when you think about it, over time, if you have a high enough debt tax, over time, all of the assets of the country will be owned by the government when people die. What a, what a horrific idea that is. It seems one of the most un-American taxes. Um, David Asman, uh, I'm just so much in shock of this kind of sprint to the left by the Democrats. Yeah. Uh, there was a story in the, uh, I wanted to ask you about this. There was a story, I did, this is secondhand, but I think it was political reported that they had a, uh, a Democratic Senate caucus meeting. Uh, I think it was on Wednesday. And Joe Manchin of West Virginia brought up the idea, hey, we have to start worrying about all of this debt that we're incurring, you know, the trillions and trillions of dollars. And apparently he was booed by all the members of the caucus, which tells you a lot about where the modern-day Democratic Party is. Uh, are, they, are they in step with the American people? No, no, of course not. And, and that's, that's on a whole range of things, uh, yeah. you know, from, from economics to, uh, uh, to crime to immigration, et cetera. So it's, it's you know, they're, they're, I think they're being pushed to the wall uh, by, that is, the left wing of the party is being pushed to the wall by the reality that most Americans don't like their policy, their social policies, as well as their economic policies. Right. We mentioned inflation. Grover mentioned taxes. By the way, one thing about taxes, another promise, because, of course, remember Biden as a candidate said he was going to govern as a, as a right. moderate, right. Uh, right. you know, to bring everybody together, which is bull. He's been he's been far to the left of Obama, who is the most leftist president that we've had ever. And another promise that he made as a candidate and, and even after he, be, he was inaugurated is that he wouldn't tax anybody making under 400000 a year. Right, right, right. Uh, well, this, the, the cap gains tax rate that he's proposed, which, which Grover was just talking about, going from 23.8% to 43.4%, a doubling mm -hmm. of the yep. capital gains tax, 
there's a Wall Street Journal piece in the news side today how a landlord making seventy five thousand a year, which is a lot below four hundred thousand a year, <laughs> right. could could right. end up in the millionaire tax bracket because it's oh, a guy God. who had several apartments that he bought thirty years ago and and he makes seventy five thousand a year, but he was going to sell them for his retirement. He's sixty four now. He's been up keeping them for the for thir- past thirty years of his life since he bought them at, at great expense, but only making seventy five grand a year. Well, once he sells that because of the up the, the upgrade, yeah. the ta- if if the tax upgrade goes through, uh, he's only going to be able to keep about four hundred thousand of that after paying off the mortgage. So Amazing. this 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 promise that Biden made of only raising taxes on <laughs> on people making four hundred thousand is complete and utter bull. If he pays passes his tax increases. Well, David, don't forget, you're exactly right about that. But also, you know, Americans are paying the Biden inflation tax every single day. I mean, every time yeah. they go to the, the grocery store, That's every right. time they go to the gas pump, you the know, you're paying that tax. tax. There is, is inflation. Exactly. Well put. So uh, uh, Steve, Chris Edwards Steve, uh, from, okay. what's that? Well, I just want to say on that 400, Grover Norquist, on the 400,000, when you raise the corporate income tax, that on the public, on the utilities that you get your electricity or natural gas or uh, water from, they by law pass on every dollar of the corporate income tax that hits your utility to you in your bills. So 90% yes. of Americans who have privately owned, investor owned uh, utilities see a tax increase because of the corporate yep. income tax. That's 90% of Americans. That's not the yep. interesting case here or there or maybe you. This is 90 percent of people now. And we know that because we saw those 90 percent get lower uh, uh, costs for their utilities when the taxes went corporate taxes went down. So we're we will pay those shortly, soon and damn near everybody. Yeah. And by the way, uh, when we did the Trump tax cut, when I worked with Larry Kudlow and the folks at the White House on that one, you know, we estimated that if we cut the corporate tax, we weren't doing that to help you know, Apple and Amazon and the big business, you know, America, we wanted to help workers. And the evidence is very clear that when you cut the corporate tax, actually, uh, the majority of the benefits actually go to workers and higher wages. And we did get higher wages. And I'd love you to comment on that, Chris. But I also wanted to ask you, uh, Chris Edwards of the Cato Institute, I'm looking at this, I don't know if you've looked at it, the offsets about how they pay for this $1.2 trillion monstrosity bill. But they have, I can't believe this. I'm not making this up. $58 billion of dynamic benefits, dynamic scoring for government spending. Where did that idea come from? Yeah, there's always, uh, you know, the staffers up on Capitol Hill always have these revenue raiser ideas <laughs> kicking around that they can put into bills. A lot of them are phony. A lot of them are damaging tax hikes. I mean, when Senator Portman in his op-ed the other day, you know, he talked about how we're going to use some reprogram money that was passed in previous stimulus bills that hasn't been used. And, you know, talking about that as if it was free money for this. I know, exactly. Bill. Well, it's not free money. If, we've got <laughs> exactly. extra, if the government's got extra money kicking around from past stimulus bills, not using it, you give it back to taxpayers, for goodness sake. So there's That's no free lunch. Point. If this bill costs a trillion dollars, that's a trillion dollar tax hike either now or in the future on taxpayers. One more piece I wanted to add on to what, what Grover and David said about capital gains. I think it's an overlooked issue that 
higher capital gains tax, and Biden wants to double it, would hammer America's innovation hubs like Silicon Valley and Austin, yep. Texas and Boston. That people, investors, wealthy people invest in these risky startups in Silicon Valley and elsewhere because they want to earn a capital gain. And only about one of their, their investments is a big hit. They pay the capital gains tax. Keeping that, keeping that low capital gains tax, I think, is crucial to the future of America's innovation economy. Well, well put. And, and by the way, uh, it's, it's, let me just make one point. that This is, this is uh, really important because it's not just the rich people who do a lot of this investing. It's, what was the number um, uh, that you always cite, uh, Grover? Something, well over 100 million Americans have stock and 401k yeah. plans mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Absolutely. And there is a place you can invest if uh, Biden takes the capital gains tax up to 40 percent or more. It's called China. Their capital gains tax. <laughs> right. Exactly. 20 percent yeah. in China. He wants to go twice what the communists charge on capital gains. And yes, it's more than 100 million American families have either wow. a 401k and or an IRA. Some have both. That's Grover Norquist, by the way, of Americans for Tax Reform. David Asman, you're going to love this. I'm going over these offsets. Here's one. How about this one? They're going to create an unemployment insurance integrity program. And why didn't we have one of these before? We've had $35 billion of fraud from the unemployment insurance program in just the last year and a half in just two states. And now now they're finally going to have an integrity program, and they're going to count that as savings? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's 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 absolutely re- and it gets down to the fundamental thing of the big lie. You know, there's I hate the way that that phrase has been used just for what happened on January 6th, because the used to be that the big lie was was referring to the socialist idea that the government can somehow do things better than the private sector. I thought that we'd been there before done that, realized that anything that the government does is going to be more expensive and sufficient than what the private sector does. We've seen that in every possible conceivable way, shape, or form, from uh, $6,000 toilets that the Pentagon pays for to the Medicare. Medicare has at least 10% uh, fraud and waste every year, which comes to about $60 billion a year. And this, this unemployment uh, boondoggle, the unemployment, the federal unemployment payoffs, uh, clearly there's been a huge amount of fraud there, which is... Dave, is David, what David, what, David, what state do you live in? I, well, I live in New State, yeah. With New York? I, I, I live right in New York City, so I'm, okay, I'm, so, I'm one of those so, idiots that gets killed every way. Yeah. So here's the interesting thing. You know, a number of states have done these uh, audits of the unemployment insurance system. I don't think Cuomo has done one. <laughs> so we don't know yeah. how much has been stolen from. It's almost like you don't want to know the truth. Uh, why aren't more states doing the audits to find out? I mean, in, in Maryland, where I live, 500,000 cases of unemployment insurance fraud. We're not, we don't have that many people in Maryland. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 crazy, and 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 what's really crazy is that a lot of it came from these these uh, you know Nigerian scams that you get on on the internet. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was the most basic form of 
of of uh, uh, technological scamming that's been going on because the whole thing was sent out there. And in fair, you know, it's, I'm not just blaming the Biden administration. The whole thing started yeah. under the Trump yeah. administration. But the the line is, how do you think a transfer of trillions of dollars of, of wealth from yeah. the people who created the wealth in the private sector to people who only know how to spend the wealth in the government yeah. is going to is going to be more efficient? It's just so nonsense. Yeah, we got to take a quick break. Uh, okay, I hope you guys can come back for one more segment. Fascinating conversation. I've got Grover Norquist from American Protection Forum, Chris Edwards from Cato, and, of course, David Asman uh, from Fox News. And you know him also from The Wall Street Journal. We'll be right back. You're listening to More Money on WABC Talk Radio. It's More Money with leading economist Steve Moore. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. You're listening to More Money on 77 WABC Talk Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm your host, Stephen Moore. Don't forget, by the way, if you're not getting the Committee to Unleash Prosperity hotline, uh, which is uh, goes out every day, five days a week, and you'll get it for free if you just want to sign up for this, go to Committee to Unleash Prosperity uh, website and sign up for it, and we will get it to you every morning. Newt Gingrich told me the other day it's the first thing he reads every morning. So I hope you'll get that. Uh, I've got uh, Chris Edwards from Cato and the great David Asman uh, from Fox News. And Chris, I want to turn to you about something else that disturbs me about this uh, spending blitz that's going on in Washington right now that I I fear is going to bankrupt our country. Um, as I look at the spending in this so-called infrastructure bill, and, I, and by the way, I've read the I've read the language of the bill as well. It's all green energy. It's all it's all green stuff. It's all climate change. It's not an infrastructure bill. And they have all this stuff in here for, uh, for example, power infrastructure for the grid. For the grid. And they have um, environmental remediation. I have no idea what that is. And they've got um, electric buses, <laughs> $7.5 billion. And then they've got electric vehicle infrastructure, another seven and a half. Uh, billion dollars. And, and my point is, Chris, you know, we have this energy revolution that's going on with respect to fracking, with respect to our coal industry is actually coming back. Uh, we have more oil, gas and coal than any other country. We need pipelines. We need LNG terminals. Uh, those are infrastructure projects that all we need to do is let the government okay them, green light them, and it doesn't cost the taxpayer one penny. So it seems like our energy approach is completely upside down. That's right. And in fact, there's this giant irony that has been overlooked in the infrastructure uh, plan here is that from a green perspective is that the financing of this infrastructure plan is not green. It is government deficit financing. The green Mm -hmm. way to finance infrastructure is through user charges. Right. Gas taxes should fund highways. The gas tax limits the driver demand. Uh, Fares ought to finance public transit to limit the demand. You pointed to EVs. This would subsidize EV charging stations, so you're subsidizing energy use. So this is something that the environmental left it seems to me has completely overlooked the fact that the financing for this is not green. And this is another reason to push infrastructure uh, act, uh, spending out of Washington. When a state government uh, needs money for infrastructure, it generally uses user charges. And that is the green and efficient way to fund infrastructure. 
Yeah, I, you know, I could not agree with you more. And this has really been our philosophy with infrastructure throughout most of our country's history, that if you use the infrastructure, you pay for it. If you ride on the subway, you pay, you know, the fare for you riding on the subway. If you drive your car, you pay a gasoline tax to pay for the roads, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. If you pay, you know, you to to pay for the airports, you pay an airline ticket airports fee. Are a great ad- another, yeah, a great example, just quickly on that. You know, this would subsidize airports about $25 billion. There's absolutely no reason to do that. Most airports in Europe now have been privatized. The, great point. Uh, the, the airports in Britain have been private since Margaret Thatcher in the 1980s. They raised their own monies from passenger fees to fund their own infrastructure. That's the green so, way to do it. That's a great but, by point. By the way, can I, just, can I just chime in here? The other thing is is that the big difference between those infrastructure projects and, and this one is that we were funding things that worked. I mean, roads work because cars we know use roads. Right. Airports work because people buy tickets on airplanes, right. uh, et cetera, et cetera. This plan is based on things that don't work very well and that don't achieve point. what they're supposed to achieve. We saw that not only, of course, with the, the famous frozen windmills in Texas last winter, uh, but yeah. we saw with the Obama program where they were lying about the number of jobs that were created by their green energy programs then the wall street journal again did this incredible uh, report going into all these wind farms finding out that in fact most of them rather than having tens of thousands of people which the government was reporting lying reporting right. saying that they re- created all these tens of thousands of jobs the wall street journal went out and found that there were just a few dozen they were literally handful a handful of of jobs yep. that were created by these wind farms and so they're they're pouring billions and trillions eventually of dollars into something that's just not going to work. So great point, Dave. That's David Asman. And, you know, there's a great video. I want people, the next time you're on your uh, your computer or on your iPhone, go to a, a website called Kite and Key Media, Kite and Key. And they did this, I don't know if either of you saw it, but they did this great video that shows that back, you know, all of these great projects, building the empire you know, the Empire State Building and building bridges, you know, 50 and 100 years ago. And they they have this example of a bridge that was built. I forget the name of it. It's in Cambridge, Massachusetts. It, it, it connects uh, over the uh, the river into Harvard. And, and they make the point that this uh, was privately built about 75 or 100 years ago, this bridge. And, it, and it's going to cost three times as much money today adjusted for inflation to just fix the bridge that it costs mm. to build it 75 wow. years ago. And their point is, Chris, and you're the expert on this. I mean, the private sector can build twice as many bridges as the public sector can because of all these regulations, the labor regulations, the environmental regulations. And the, this bill makes those regulations worse, not better. Yeah, that, that's right. Actually, that, what happened during the 20th century is the federal government started subsidizing state local infrastructure and it crowded mm-hmm. out private infrastructure, as you touch on there, many bridges used to be private in the United States. Mm-hmm. Half of American airports in the 1930s were private mm-hmm. before the government subsidies yep. started. Uh, tra- most transit systems in American cities were private before the 60s, before federal subsidies started. On the you, you touch the, the cost of building infrastructure. Here's an I hate to keep picking on Rob Portman, but another thing, you know, he points out correctly that w- we want permitting reform to speed up uh, uh, the building right. of infrastructure. But the problem with all this new money going to things like broadband and the electric grid and EVs charging stations, it's going to come with all these regulations that raise of course. the cost of all those things. Yeah. 
Well, the Davis-Bacon Act, which is the, you know, super minimum wage requirement, you know, means that every bridge and every road and all of these things we build are 30% more expensive. And I want to touch on one other thing. Um, you know, there is, well, Amtrak, Amtrak, I mean, God, how much are we going to pay people to buy, to ride Amtrak? Amtrak, uh, you know, ridership is down and yet they're giving, uh, $66 billion, billion, not million, $66 billion for passenger and freight rail. By the way, the freight rails are private. I don't know why we have to give them money, but my God. And then public transit gets another $49 billion. Chris and David, we just gave them $50 billion uh, about four months ago in that right. in that uh, Biden bill. And by the way, transit, right? More people, David Asman, walk to work than, than use transit. I know that may yeah. seem surprising to people in New York. So maybe we should just subsidize tennis shoes rather than mass transit. <laughs> Well, we, we sub, we've all, again, we've been here before. We're trying stuff that doesn't work. We, we spent billions of dollars on light rail systems, uh, from what happened in San Francisco, the BART system and how that yep. was completely underutilized and the money was just wasted all the way over to the East Coast. You can go across the bridge into New Jersey, uh, into, into just right across the bridge in New Jersey. They have these light rail mm-hmm. systems, yep. uh, in Fort Lee and other places that don't, aren't, aren't used hardly at all. I mean, you you see barely see about one or two passengers per train per car in the train. So it's it, it's just we we know what people like and what people don't like, and and funding something that people don't like is not going to make them like it. So yeah. so we're going to be so, funding all of these projects that are going to be underutilized. People will still use their cars unless we come into a command economy. Unless. They start getting communistic and saying, if, you know, you're, we're going to send you to the gulag unless you do that or, or outlaw, literally outlaw carbon fuel, uh, uh, carbon fuel transportation, whether it's cars, personal cars or, or buses or whatever. They may be forced to do that. But again, I think the pushback is strong enough between now and the next, the midterm election and then the presidential election in 2024 so that these, uh, these idiots will be thrown out of office. So uh, there's a, a new study that finds that uh, in most cities, it would be you would reduce traffic congestion because people the reason people support transit is they think it reduces traffic congestion, but it doesn't. And, and, and uh, you know that, Chris, you've done a lot of studies on this. But this study out of Seattle finds that for one tenth the cost for, to build one additional lane of highway costs 10 percent of what it costs to build, uh, you know, a transit system. And yet the highway, the one lane of highway would substantially reduce traffic congestion, while it, whereas transit doesn't. I don't know if you're familiar with that kind of research. Chris, uh, but- transit is one of the most giant boondoggles in America yes. in the last few decades. Dozens of cities have gone to these light rail systems, as David pointed out. They are a ridiculously high cost. And here's the thing that's hugely, uh, sadly ironic. They do not help the low-income folks who need to get to work. A lot of cities take the federal money to build these expensive light rail systems, and they cut back on their bus systems, which are the Mm low-cost systems that low-income people need to get to work. These rail systems are just these dreamy ideas uh, thought up by the liberal elite that don't really um, reduce congestion. They don't help low-income people. It's really had been a disastrous policy. And it's people like Biden who have these dreamy ideas about rail that are just they're completely disconnected from the reality of rail on the ground. 
Bingo. I agree. So we got we just got two minutes left. I want to ask you one. But by the way, thank you so much, uh, Dave, David Asman and Chris Edwards for staying with me throughout this hour. It's been a fascinating conversation. But I want to end with this. I was on Fox this morning, uh, uh, and uh, and the woman I was on, they had a you know more liberal uh, counterpart. And she kept talking about investment, investment. We're doing all this investment, you know, all these things, transit and infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I said to her, wait a minute, you're increasing the taxes on private investment. And, and Chris, I'll first go to you. And then, David, <laughs> isn't an investment in this country supposed to be done by private investors uh, in our capital markets, which are so, so efficient, rather than having politicians decide where the money goes? Yeah, no, that that's exactly right. As I, I pointed out, you can go to the Bureau of Economic Analysis data and find that the vast majority of infrastructure in America is done by the private sector. It always has been. And you raise corporate taxes, we're going to get you're going to get less investment in broadband. Yep. You're going to get less investment in electric utilities. You're going to get less investment in the energy needs of tomorrow. You're going to get less investment in electric car uh, infrastructure if you raise the corporate tax. It makes absolutely no sense. So, David, uh, you know, I was looking at these numbers, uh, you know, what's happened with the NASDAQ, what's happened with the you know, the Dow back in 1981 when Reagan was elected was at 1,000. Mm-hmm. Now it's at 35,000. And I would submit to you that one of the things that has made America such an incredible wealth creation machine is we have these incredible capital markets and, and, and the people in the investment industry do a great job in, of finding the great new companies and getting the seed capital down and letting them grow and becoming the next Googles. Government doesn't do that. Why, why don't we redirect more of this money to the private sector when, than the government? Because the, the these people in power right now don't believe in the private sector. I mean, that's, I think that's how, right. why else would they double uh, the capital gains tax rate right. as, they're, as they're planning to do? Now, it's, 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 really, it's, it's really discouraging, and it does harken back uh, not to, to, to raise uh, issues that will infuriate some who are listening, but it, it harkens back to the, pres- the last president that we had who came from the private sector, and yes, he did a lot of deals with the public sector yeah. uh, when he worked in tandem with, with local projects, with the government, the, the, the ice skating rink, etc. cetera. Uh, so he knew both the private sector yeah. and the public sector. Now we have people in charge yeah. who are just either pure academics yeah. or have just been in public sector their whole <laughs> And they love government. And they don't they know love how government. things work. Yeah. All right. That's David Asman, the superstar from Fox News and Fox Business News, and Chris Edwards, one of the smartest economists in Washington at the Canada Institute. Gentlemen, thank you so much for spending the hour with us. You've been listening to More Money on WABC. And next week, I promise we will take your calls. Have a great weekend, everybody. Signing off. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.